lads and lasses, this be Snescapades, a chronological journey through the North American Super Nintendo Library, three games at a time. We play them briefly, judge them harshly, and rank them. Yar. I'm Steampunk Link. I'm Emmy Zero, and uh, shiver me timbers, we've got some games to talk about today. Yeah, let's uh, keelhaul the scalawags and um, do other pirate things. Yeah. Um, I just realized that it, it sounded like I probably was doing like the, the sea captain from The Simpsons there. And this isn't another Simpsons episode. Don't worry. You got that Simpsons in your brain. It's right there. Yeah. Just cut that one together as we record this. We are not talking Simpsons today. We are talking uh, some other things. We're talking Peter Pan. We're talking Godzilla, kind of. We're talking Gundam. Not really, but you know, related. Yeah. One of these things is sort of an officially licensed game. So yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The other ones are uh, just sort of on the periphery of licenses. Yeah. Uh, They put a horn on Godzilla. It's okay. No (laughs) one's going to get sued. It's fine. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Um, But yes. So we've got three games to talk about today. And these are some really interesting ones. I'm really excited to get into discussing these. We have Hook based on the Steven Spielberg, Robin Williams, Peter Pan movie. We have King of the Monsters, uh, a, a kaiju wrestling game. And we have Blazion, the Bio Cyborg Challenge. Uh, which is a fantastic name, and it is an interesting game as well, which we'll get to. But uh, yeah, that's what's on the docket uh, for today. And did you have any other opening remarks before we jump into these, Steampunk Link? Well, you know, I, I do have a bone to pick with the name Blazion, the, what is it, the Ultimate Cyborg Challenge? Or bio, the Bio? The Bio Cyborg Challenge. Wouldn't Cyborg imply that there's bio like isn't the whole thing with a cyborg like it's a bio yeah uh cyborgs are supposed to be a combination of of human and machine and bio also implies that definitely within the context of the game things that i think are being referred to as bio cyborgs do not seem to have any of that going on but there are some ooey gooey biological monster things that you do fight eventually in that game so i guess it kind of works but yeah i agree it's a pretty iffy application of the term i i will set that aside for now we will get to it put a pin in it we're getting ready to to sail the high seas Anyway, we're talking about Hook. This is a game that is based on the Steven Spielberg movie Hook, which, uh, did you ever see this movie, Steampunk Link? No, I have never seen this movie. I think we talked about this a little bit back uh, for a Newsy segment, because I think this was the movie that he would have talked about for December 1991 when it came out. Yeah, I think that's right. So I did see this movie in theaters, and I didn't like it very much. And possibly because of that, I never even thought to try to play the game based on it. But it is also entirely possible. I didn't even know there was a game based on it. So this was not a game I played as a kid. And that's kind of interesting, because I think that if I had played it, it would have probably been pretty much in my wheelhouse. So do you want to talk a little bit about this game and where it came from? I was just going to talk a little bit more about the movie. Um, I'm a little bit surprised I never saw this movie, because this was around the time when, like, uh, I think Fox had their own Peter Pan cartoon on that I was definitely watching in the mornings before going to school. I did sort of have a fondness for the character at this point, but for whatever reason, I just, I, I never saw hook in theaters i also find it weird like from what i know about this movie hook doesn't really show up until pretty late in is that right? um i don't even really remember that actually that aspect of it i do remember that dustin hoffman played captain hook in the movie which which big actor big name actor to play this character yeah but i mean so was robin williams being peter pan and i mean the, the movie yeah. is definitely about peter pan like it, it is, is not yeah. I mean, primarily from hook's point of view or anything no it's not so that is a kind of unusual thing about this i don't know why they named it that honestly but yeah so this movie robin williams plays a grown-up adult version of Peter Pan who has gone back to the real world, grown up, had kids, and has really kind of sworn off all of the childish things that his his life was about when he was this eternally youthful magic-flying elf boy, basically. Right. Yeah, the, there's a lot 
from what I remember in this movie about how like growing up sucks and how you kind of lose everything whimsical and fun about yourself. Much like in the game, as we'll talk about, his children get kidnapped by Captain Hook, uh, I believe, and he has to go back to Never Never Land and recapture that aspect of himself in order to save them. And, you know, he meets back up with the Lost Boys, uh, including Rufio, who is in this game a little bit, who was kind of the person that Peter Pan gave leadership of the Lost Boys to when he decided to leave. I just remember just not really liking anything about this movie, thinking it was it was really both sentimental and really kind of like obnoxiously like broad comedy in a way that for whatever reason, like seven-year-old me just could not get behind. You were definitely in the theater thinking, oh, this movie has a tone problem. Clearly that's <laughs> that's what my kid brain thought. I don't know exactly what it was about this movie that kind of rubbed me the wrong way. You were not alone in your disdain for this movie, because th- this movie, which I think I said back in the Newsy segment, has a much lower Rotten Tomatoes score than I would have thought. I-, I thought people liked this movie for the most part, but I was I was wrong about that. Hook comes to us courtesy of publisher Sony ImageSoft and developer Ukiyo Ukiyote. Let's go with Ukiyote. They're a little company with um, not a whole lot of information about them out there. A relatively short, say, gameography. Is that a word? If not, I'm coining it right now. That seems like it would make sense, right? Gameography? I think that actually is the word, yeah. The company only has a little over a dozen games to their credit. They worked on a lot of licensed games for the Super Nintendo, did some work with SNK, primarily on the Neo Geo Pocket Color ports of Metal Slug games. They still have a website, though not being fluent in Japanese, I could not tell you what it says. Uh, I can read that the copyright year on that says 2002, so I'm kind of operating under the assumption that they're not updating that website much and may not be around anymore. I don't know. One thing that uh, the resources I was checking about the company seemed pretty consistent on is that the company was founded by Kenshi Naruse. Uh, who's actually credited as the director of this game. One of the sources said that he was a Capcom employee before founding this company, but I I, I did not see his name come up under uh, any Capcom games in Moby Games. Or I, I mean, in his credit listing, I should say, I didn't see any Capcom games in there, so I don't know how true that is. It could just be that because everybody at Capcom had to go under pseudonyms for a long time, maybe yeah. you just don't know what his role was in some of those. <laughs> you know, all that stuff gets kind of messy. I will say there's a level of polish in this game that I tend to only associate with, from this time period, Capcom and Konami games. So it would not surprise me if there was some former Capcom talent in the mix here. <laughs> so another really funny thing... Um, Given the time that we're recording this, uh, Giant Bomb lists two other developers for the game, uh, Painting by Numbers Limited and <laughs> Shadow Software. <laughs> oh, that's a fun name. Huh? I'm guessing have nothing to do with the app that just, um, you know, messed up the caucus in Iowa <laughs> just this past week. Probably not. <laughs> really funny coincidence there. Oh, boy. Um, Uh, Shadow Software might have been listed since they developed the Atari ST and Amiga versions of the game. There were ports of this to a lot of different things, I believe, my understanding. Yeah, and I think some of them were pretty different games, though, than than this one, but I'm not entirely sure. Um, I have no idea where, if Painting by Numbers comes into the picture, um, I couldn't find that name anywhere, so maybe they were contracted out uh, for elements of the game, I do not know. But uh, that's what I could find out. And uh, we'll probably do a deeper dive into Sony ImageSoft some other time. They're going to show up a lot. Yeah, and actually Ukiote will show up at least one more time that I know of later on in the Super Nintendo. So uh, it'll be interesting to see kind of how things go there as well. This game starts off with a a pretty nice-looking little uh, story sequence where... Peter is talking to his kids, and it kind of establishes this basic concept of, you know, hey, Dad, are you really Peter Pan? And he's like, no, that's ridiculous. Stories are stupid. And Just uh, sh- shut know. up, you stupid, stupid child. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Captain Hook's pirate ship 
comes in and kidnaps the children. Uh, Tinkerbell comes in and is like, hey, Peter, I'm back. And also Captain Hook took your kids. So you got to go back to Never Never Land and save them. And he's like, ah, oh, dang, I don't want to do that. So she uh, wraps him up in a big net and just kind of takes him. Hey, we need to get through like a good chunk of the movie so we can get to like the actual action parts. Of yeah, this <laughs> yeah, pretty much, pretty much. So they take him back to the Lost Boys and there's a very good line where Tinkerbell's like, hey, he might be fat and old now, but this is really Peter Pan. I felt very attacked in that moment, like personally. <laughs> I was like, uh, hey. Um, then you get to what is basically the actual game here. And the game then has the kind of sprite of the kind of adult Peter Pan transform into a very traditional looking Peter Pan that I think looks nothing like anything from that movie. So, you know, I did actually kind of appreciate the the contrast between, you know, like the Peter, whatever his actual last name is, Sprite, and the Peter Pan Sprite, like when you lose a life and he turns back into Peter. That sort of contrast, I, I think, yeah, yeah totally. I, I thought that was really cool, actually. I think it actually works really well, and um, I actually really love the Peter Pan Sprite that they came up with. Like, it's very dynamic, there's a lot of good poses, and yeah, no, so this is a side-scrolling platform game with a little bit of flying mixed in, maybe not as much as you might think. The game basically follows Peter as he adventures across Neverland to eventually reach Captain Hook's pirate ship. The layouts and sort of gimmicks of each individual stage are are actually pretty diverse, which is very cool. Which I think is a little bit necessary because this is a pretty short game and only at about 10 stages. It's a pretty short game. Uh, There's not really a ton of like secrets to find or anything, but every stage feels like it was very carefully crafted. Uh, There's a lot of really good sort of individual moments in them. The first stage has a fun thing where as you go through it, you, you go through different seasons. So like the light levels and the you know stuff that's covering the screen changes and that's a really cool thing some of the stages are much more vertical than others uh there's one stage that has a pretty interesting part where you're going through these big ocean waves and being held up by what i guess is a mermaid it's it's cool like everything in this feels very lovingly put together which isn't something you can always expect for a licensed game. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, going back to that first stage, one thing I really liked about it is that in, in the first stage, you are playing as Peter Pan, you've just been brought back, and you have to prove to the Lost Boys that you really are the Pan. <laughs> and in doing so, you know, you're going through and you're actually fighting with the Lost Boys. And there's a nice touch there that I really like, where instead of just like falling off the screen like normal enemies do, they're really hammering home the fact that this is more of a friendly competition. So like, yeah. the Lost Boys will just kind of fall down and put their hands up like oh i surrender after you hit them yeah yeah right it's a lot of extra effort that they did for these enemy sprites that only appear in this stage and you know it's just something that i just thought like wow this is an extra level of production here that i really appreciate this really looks great yeah absolutely and i think overall the graphics and sound in this game are really good so you know those those kind of support all the different little touches in in the game and and really help all of them pop and come through So just in case we didn't uh, make it clear, this is a, just a, a pretty standard two-dimensional side-scrolling platform game. It's definitely not a Twitch platformer or athletic platformer like Super Mario Brothers. It's a much more no. slow, methodical sort of platformer. Maybe a little bit more like a cinematic platformer, although I don't know if I would quite go that far either. But I would say it's kind of in, in an interesting sort of mid-space between those two things, because Peter's pretty slow. You can build up momentum with him, but generally all your jumps and moves in this game are very intentional, and the game, I think does a pretty good job of kind of signposting where you'll need to use kind of a longer jump or what what's really possible with the moveset you have. I never felt like I was out of control or being asked to make like a bunch of like blind leaps in this game or anything, which I really appreciated. Yeah, um, his jump is really uh, kind of light and slow and floaty, which I think is probably appropriate for a character that flies. The game also very heavily signposts when you are supposed to fly because it doesn't actually give you the ability to do that without Tinkerbell being there to sprinkle fairy dust on you it it feels a little bit like we're depowering peter pan because he can pretty much fly at will in in every version that we've ever seen of him in cartoons or films but i understand why they did it for the game i would have maybe preferred like hey you start out the level with your flight meter full so you just kind of have that to play with and then in sections where you need it there'll be 
you know, Tinkerbell will be there to refill the meter for you so that you don't get to an unwinnable state. Yeah, I I do agree with that. I don't think it has a huge impact on the game itself. Oh, definitely not, concept, no. For the concept of Peter Pan, it's a little weird, for sure. Yeah, that's just kind of a nitpick that I think, like, would have helped the game a little bit thematically, but I don't think it, it, it hampers it uh, from a gameplay perspective. The one complaint I had about anything really kind of gameplay related is that after you finish that first stage, the game gives you basically like a ranged attack using the regular attack button, almost like kind of Zelda style, uh, like beam of light will th- shoot out from your sword. And then if you get hit, you lose that, but it's an actual power up that you have to regain by finding in the levels again and it's not that frequently found so i feel like it's weird to kind of start the game proper off with the expectation that that's a tool that you'll have and then not really give that to you except in like special circumstances where you found it that's a weird thing for them to do but it's kind of the only thing like that that i can think of in the game that feels sort of poorly thought out in that particular way i actually completely agree and that was the same thing that i had in my notes here like my one main complaint is how that power up is used the fact that you lose it the minute you get hit the fact that it doesn't even give you like an extra buffer or anything for your health you still lose uh, a unit of health when you get hit with it i almost never found it useful and i honestly questioned why they even bothered putting it in the game i feel like if it's gonna be there it should have just been a thing like it is in in the zelda games where if you have full health that's a thing you can do but other than that i think you know the items make a lot of sense and, and are easy to understand pretty quickly. Cherries give you one unit of health back. Apples refill your health completely. Tinkerbell gives you flight power. If you find a leaf in a level, it'll actually permanently increase your health meter by one uh, with a maximum of four. You start with two. Unfortunately, you do lose those if you have to burn a continue, which I found to be yeah. a big problem when I got to the end of the game, which I, I did uh-huh. make it all the way to the last level. Boy, that last level. So this game is not overall very challenging, I would say, which which is good because it's yeah. probably supposed to appeal to younger kids. But that last level, boy, they sure do throw some real BS at you there that I, <laughs> I could not complete it. There's one section in which you have to fly through a spike lined room and uh... you have to be absolutely perfect. Like they, they designed it so that you cannot make a single mistake. And honestly, I'm not entirely sure what I was supposed to do to make it through that. Man, that's rough. Stuff like that, you know, a little bit of reason to say, well, this game's far from perfect. It does do some of this stuff, which uh-huh. I think was, was kind of was kind of crummy. But add to the fact that I also went back down to two max health after I had to continue at the last level. Right. There is a, one leaf to collect in the level that I knew about, but... Other than that, you know, I couldn't get back up to four health, and that yeah. was just making it even harder to get through the level. So it kind of had that death spiral that we talk about a lot with shooters. That's pretty frustrating. I do appreciate that. I, I believe this game does does have infinite continues. That may be true. I, I only continued a few times before I kind of gave up on that final level. I do think that, for the most part, this game's fair, but that... That sounds really unfortunate. I didn't make it to the last level when I was playing the game for the show. I played, I think, about half of the game. But other than that, there are some really cool levels. There's a few levels that have a lot of vertical and horizontal elements. There's one that was an auto-scroller. That was a level that sort of relied more on managing your flight power. All the bosses were kind of neat, too. There's a, uh, Most stages have a boss. You know, rule of video games, usually it just comes down to hitting them three times. But some of the bosses were pretty clever. Like in one boss fight, I actually had to use the boss's own weapon against them in kind of a clever way. Well, there was one that was actually pretty tricky that um, I, it took me a little while to figure out how to do it. But... Uh, it was it was still well done, you know. Like I didn't have to consult a guide or anything. I just had to try a couple things to figure it out. There's a there's one level where there's a unique gimmick where you're in, you're navigating through a cave and there's a little fireball following you around. If you touch it, you take damage. But if you get too far away from it, the entire cave will actually go dark, and you'll kind of need to wait for it to come back before you progress. Otherwise, you're, you're not going to know where you're going. I thought that was a pretty unique element. It, uh, there's just you know a lot of stuff about this game just really impressed me. I agree. I think it's a really a really polished, really uh, creative game in some ways, and uh, I enjoyed it a whole lot. Yeah, so did I. Uh, did you have anything else you wanted to say about this one, or should we go to the no, list? No, I, I think that's really it. Let's go ahead and look at the list and see where we want to put this one right now i'm looking at like a a licensed platform game like 
Dino City at number 29. I think this is way better than Dino City. Oh, I agree. I agree with that for sure. I think I like this more than Spanky's Quest at number 20. What do you think? I agree with that. You know, I think that Spanky's Quest is good, but uh, even though there's obviously far fewer levels in this game than there are in Spanky's Quest, the the level of craftsmanship in this is is pretty superb. So yeah, I would I, I would I would put this up above that. I'd probably put it above East Three as well. How do you think this compares to Legend of the Mystical Ninja? You know, I was I was wondering if you were going to say that because that that's kind of like the first game where I'm sort of wanting to have a conversation. Like, I think Legend of the Mystical Ninja, it also has a lot of that really great production. It's also pretty uh, unforgiving and kind of cruel in some ways that I don't think that Hook is, though. It is, although it does have a lot more content, I think. I mean, again, that's, I didn't yeah, get nearly as far into say, it. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I think that's true. I think that probably you're looking at, like, uh, a game that, that you know, with in terms of Hook, uh, if you were playing it straight through, how long did it take you to, to play through that? Uh, not very long. Only probably only a couple of hours. Um, it, it's again, it's it's not a terribly long game. Yeah, Legend of the Mystical Ninja. You know, it's got a lot of extra stuff you can do in it, little mini games, and it is just like kind of a bigger game overall. I think these are kind of a good match, honestly, in some ways. Yeah, it, it it's a tough call, but I mean, like, here's the thing though. Like, I'm looking at F Zero up at number fifteen. And I kind of feel like it's an easier call for me to make. Like, I think I like this more than F-Zero. I think I like Hook more than F-Zero. Interesting. I, I don't know. What do you think? I can see that, honestly. Uh, I can, I like, I, I like F-Zero, but we've talked before about how it's really just like kind of one very slim idea done done well. You know, I think that it is distinctively different in, in some ways from some of the other platform games we've played uh so far considering how good some of those are the fact that this one still manages to stand out is is pretty impressive what do you think might be a ceiling for this game mm, that's tough so okay this is gonna sound really high i think but i i think probably un squadron is my personal ceiling for this game I wouldn't put it. I don't know if I'd put it right below you in Squadron, but I probably wouldn't put it higher than that. Yeah, I was almost thinking something like Lemmings at number twelve, but maybe. Hmm. Because my big thing is when I look up from from Lemmings, I do see like Contra three, and Contra three. I think you could say a lot of the same things we've been saying about Hook. It kind of depends on what you want, right? If you want something more challenging, then obviously. I'm going to recommend Contra 3 over Hook, but if you just want something <laughs> sure. that's kind of like breezy and, and sort of pleasant and, and just nice, then yeah. I might say maybe Hook over Contra 3. It, you know, it's 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 tough. Maybe, hmm. Yeah. But, you know, I think maybe we're zeroing in on, on its ultimate position here, because I, I think I'd be pretty hard-pressed to actually say I would be able to recommend hook over contra three because i think contra three for most people are you know is going to be an easier sell and that's going to be something that's going to keep people going a lot longer than hook would i think that's true i think contra three is definitely a lot more replayable than hook it's got a much higher you know ceiling on on how good you can get at it so i think in that way it's probably more satisfying so yeah i think that's probably good i would be pretty comfortable with putting it right below contra three unless you want to make the argument that lemmings should also be above it because lemmings probably has yeah you know what now that i'm thinking about it i think maybe putting this right below lemmings might be the right place for it because i think lemmings with all of its different very creative puzzles and just the the overall uniqueness of the idea of lemmings yeah uh, i think i think really makes it a real kind of standout game i mean that's why we put it so high in the first place and i think for as good as hook is it's it's much more traditional than that in so many ways lemmings also has a lot of personality not nearly as much as hook does but also They've got a lot fewer pixels to work with in those little right? Lemmings sprites. Maybe our new number 13 between Lemmings and Darius Twin? Sounds good to me. Okay. All right. Hook at number 13. That's a very good showing for that game. Yeah, definitely. Now that we have... Oh, 90. That's that's number 90. We've got 90 games on this list now. Wow. Very good showing. 13 out of 90 is, uh, is nothing to sneeze at. All right, cool. Well, uh, what do you say we move on? Get get our get our. Uh, don't, don't have a segue for this one. No, I, I don't have a segue for it. It's very hard to segue between Hook and uh, and King of the Monsters. King 
King of the Monsters. Not Godzilla affiliated, but it sure is taking some very loving inspiration from it, I would say. Yeah, it's an homage, let's say. Yeah. <laughs> to Godzilla and just to giant monster movies in general, be they Kaiju or King Kong or whatever. Absolutely. There's even an Ultraman type character in this game. So, King of the Monsters, uh, do you want to talk about the background of the game before we get into talking about the game itself? Yeah, sure. So, King of the Monsters, this is an SNK joint, originally released in arcades and later ported to the SNES and Genesis. It's also made appearances in the classic game show Nick Arcade, along with actually a lot of games that we've covered on this show, like Super Ghouls and Ghosts, oh, yeah. uh, Joe and Mac, and Hyperzone, among others. Huh. Um, I didn't I didn't actually realize just how many Super Nintendo games made appearances on Nick Arcade, but uh, there you go. So while this game is not as prolific as a lot of the other SNK games out there, uh, franchises like King of Fighters and Metal Slug, King of Monsters isn't a game that SNK has forgotten. Some of the game's characters have appeared in SNK's Neo Geo Battle Coliseum game, and it is still getting ports to this day, if you can believe it. In fact, it was ported to the Nintendo Switch a few years ago, courtesy of Hamster. Good old Hamster. Yeah, so obviously this game still has fans. I can understand that, because the game has a lot of personality, and there's not really a ton else out there that's completely like this. This is a giant monster wrestling game. The controls, I think, are a little bit more fighting gamey in some ways than, than some other wrestling games are. There's very clearly defined, you know, punch and, and kick buttons. There's a ranged attack that everybody has and this game uses kind of a three quarters perspective on one of a variety of different cities and i believe in in this game they're all real life japanese cities right i think so i only saw a couple of them so i'm not entirely certain on that in which the monster that you've chosen one out of four in the super nintendo version uh there were six characters in the arcade version but two of them are not here in this version the arenas have a bunch of buildings in them uh, a lot of the they have you know usually big landmarks or uh bridges uh there's a lot of things that you can crush as you as you battle the other monster just like in other wrestling games there is a ring in this uh there's kind of a big electric barrier on either side that you can kind of bounce yourself off of or you can bounce your opponent off of and you know every monster has you know punches kicks at least one of the other characters i played as did have like a running kick move which was kind of cool yeah i think all of the moves and uh techniques are shared amongst all of the characters i don't think anyone has a, a unique move set in this game Yeah, there's four characters. There's a basically just a slightly squatter version of Godzilla with a big kind of horn in the middle of its head. There's a big rock monster that kind of has like a Moai head. There's a stag beetle. And then there's a big kind of like superhero guy that I think is supposed to be kind of a riff on Ultraman. You pick one of them and then in the single player mode, you fight through all of the other ones. And then I think a stronger palette swapped version of them again. And there's also a two player head the head mode that's kind of what this game has going on so uh one thing really quick i wanted to mention about the perspective and the way in which you can move so you can move sort of up and down like you said there's a perspective not unlike a a side-scrolling brawling type game where you've got a little bit of uh, left and right movement uh, as well in like a fighting game you've only got a couple of screens worth of arena there to play with apparently there's a term for this sort of perspective called belt scroller which i was somehow unfamiliar with yes i have actually heard that before i like that term a lot and i'm probably going to use it now to describe uh those kinds of games particularly uh you know side scrolling brawlers so belt scroller i like that i appreciate that the arenas are pretty big there are several screens tall and wide and you can really throw the other monster around it really does give you kind of that feel of watching one of these monster fights in a giant monster movie as you see all the buildings kind of blowing up as they walk through them and there's also military aircraft flying around trying to shoot at you which will really kind of do like little bits of damage but not very much Uh, it's all kind of just adding more action basically to to the environments and um i think it's very fun It, it looks really good and it's really kind of lively and entertaining yeah, I liked the added touch of having like military vehicles shooting at the two monsters because it adds just enough 
of a little twist into the fight that, to make you pay attention, but it's not so much that it's going to completely cost you the fight. Yeah. Also, you can kind of turn things around. You can grab military vehicles and throw them at your <laughs> opponent as yeah. well, which is kind of neat. There's a level that has like a big river in it with battleships that are shooting at you, and you can you can pick those up and just smack the other monster with them like a baseball bat. That's a lot of fun. So we were talking a little bit about how this is a wrestling game that looks and feels a bit more like a fighting game. I think that that works in the game's favor, but it also led to a little bit of confusion on my part when I first started playing the game. When I was first playing, I depleted my opponent's health bar completely and he was still up. So I figured at that point, okay, either I need to pin him or maybe I need to use a special attack kind of like from Ultraman in order to finish the fight. Turns out what I needed to do was pin my opponent. I couldn't quite figure out how to do that. And I looked for an instruction manual for the game, found it, and it teaches you a little bit more about the moves and how grappling works, things like that, like how you can go from a grapple to like a pile driver or something like that. But the instruction manual still did not tell you how to pin, which was weird. Um, Especially considering that like some of the controls are told to you in the menu screen of the game itself, which is really cool and forward thinking. And I Wish more games from this time period had done that, which we'll, we'll get into a little bit later here. But it did not tell you how to pin. <laughs> yeah. Neither did the instruction manual. Had to Google it. Somebody else asked the same question. How do you freaking pin? Because, like me, was really frustrated by the fact that neither the game nor the instruction manual told you how to do that. Turns out you just had to stand over the opponent in the right place and hit punch. And then they would just jump on him and that would be it. And I got kind of lucky and figured that out in my first match after a while. But yeah, it's really, really bad, honestly, that the game doesn't tell you... Like, when it's giving you those controls, why wouldn't it tell you how to do the thing you need to do to win the matches? I don't get that. Even weirder in some ways that they left it out of the instruction manual. Like, I'm okay with the wrestling moves and everything, but I do wonder why they decided to make this a full-on wrestling game and not just have the win condition be to drain your opponent's health. I, w- I really wonder, like, would the game be any less if that was the win condition instead of pinning? I mean, I guess in a way it helped. It makes the matches last longer and makes it more of a battle of attrition in some ways. You know, I think they wanted the end of, of a match to have, like, this big destroyed city all around you and you standing victorious over your beaten and exhausted opponent. But I will say I did find it pretty hard to actually finish a couple of these matches because once you've got your opponent weakened and you've got their life bar drained uh you know then you would think okay well i can just go pin them and this will be over but a lot of times they can still get back up so i think you have to do like a move that kind of like incapacitates them for longer in order to do that am i correct there well it seemed to me that like it was just all about you know, getting the pin and then getting another pin. Like, it, it seems like each time I pinned my opponent, typically they were staying down longer. I, I okay, think that, like, that's what probably the, it then. I feel like what the health meter really seemed to indicate to me anyway was... It's like how, a stamina meter more well, than anything, right? Yeah, like how long your opponent would stay on the ground when you downed them. So, like, it would give you okay. more time to pin them. That's what it seems like to me. I see. I'm not okay, entirely that, sure that's no, that, what it was. That but. actually makes some sense. Uh, like, in that respect, I get it. But yeah, I, I, I agree. It, it would have been nicer if maybe they had hewed a little less closely to the wrestling format in that sense. So one of the things we should probably mention about this game is that there is a power-up mechanic in which uh, if you perform oh, yeah, certain yeah. moves on your opponent, a little P will pop out of them. And if you get that, you'll boost your power meter. And if you get it full, you gain another level, which makes your attacks a little bit stronger. And uh, in the single-player mode, anyway, those power-ups persist. Basically, you you get a different color scheme for your fighter every time you power up, and those seem yeah. to um, persist between matches, which was kind of neat. So yeah, power-ups persist, and also you get some health back between matches, but you don't get like restored to full health between matches. So that's sort of an incentive to take less damage, basically, and really kind of dominate your opponent early on. You know, overall, I think this works. Like, I haven't really played anything else quite like it, and it kind of made me think, like, oh yeah, why aren't giant monster wrestling games more of a thing? This is fun. There's definitely been a lot more, including some with Godzilla in them, I'm pretty certain. Yes, that is true. That is true. But yeah, this is a good one. Given that, like, all of the characters have the same moves, basically, I don't know how, how much 
mileage you would really get out of this game ultimately, but it's really fun for, you know, the the first hour or so that you're playing it. Yeah, I think this is definitely one that's more fun with a friend. Um, yeah, for sure. You know, it, for it's, sure. it's just... It's almost like a Smash Brothers type game where it's it's just silly and and you know I think a lot of the fun is just going to come from the fact that like oh hey we're giant monsters destroying the city while we fight that's fun yeah it's kind of the same kind of fun as Rampage I yeah would I was say. just thinking that yeah you know but honestly maybe more enjoyable because you're doing something that's not just pressing the A button over and over again to smash up buildings like I think the fact that the damage is all collateral damage while you're fighting the other monster is it kind of makes this a much more fun giant monster smash em up game than that. I wouldn't have minded if there were maybe aspects of the game to make the destruction a little bit more deliberate in some places, but I, I think overall, like, it's a really solid concept and a lot of fun. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I will say, you know, before we go over to ranking, that one issue that we do need to bring up is that this is a port of an arcade game, and it does lose a few things in transition. Yeah, Specifically, it, it definitely loses, does. It loses two monsters, the King Kong-looking one and, a, I think, like a smog monster. Yeah, he's a real gooey-looking guy. Uh, yeah, like that's a big thing when the roster is this small, and especially since I would think, I, I don't know what the, what the reasoning was, but I'm kind of surprised that they didn't cut, like, the rock monster so they could keep the King Kong monster in. It's also missing some other features as well, right? Yeah, I think um, maybe the biggest one is the lack of a two-player co-op mode where you uh, can team up with another player and go two-on-two against the computer. Uh, You can do one-on-one, though, but... Not two on two, which is a shame. That is kind of a shame. And and also given that, as you might expect, the arcade game has much more impressive animation and music. And, you know, given all of that, uh, and the fact that, uh, as we were talking about before, the arcade game has gotten ported to a lot of modern systems thanks to that that hamster conversion. This Super Nintendo version of the game may not actually be the most appealing way to play this game. Uh, here in 2020. But if you are going to be playing uh, the Super Nintendo version, I do think you'll have a good time. It is definitely just missing some stuff that is is present in the arcade. Definitely pick up the arcade version, which is probably more readily available at this point anyway than the Super Nintendo version. But yeah, I mean, if you're just going through old Super Nintendo games, like this one is definitely still a lot of fun. You know, I, and I think so looking over at the list... The fact that it does lose those features maybe puts it in good company with Final Fight as a jumping off point. But yeah, I think I that think that's fair. I think this is probably better. It probably loses less than Final Fight in some ways. Yeah, I think what you're left with is a better game ultimately than what Final Fight is left with on the Super Nintendo. So yeah, I, I would agree that it, it keeps moving up. So that was number 36. And then at 35, we've got rampart yeah which was that kind of odd sort of proto tower defense arcade game yeah you know a little bit of similarity here you know you're you're destroying stuff although i guess in rampart you're more building up walls than than uh knocking them down but i i think i like this more than rampart what do you think i i agree yeah i agree and i think i probably also liked it more than super smash tv which is above rampart on the list at number 34 yeah 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 another yeah three arcade ports right in a row there yeah but i i agree yeah with interesting you. Um, then we got Populous at number 33, which we haven't talked about in a while. We haven't talked about that in a while. And man, this is a apples and car tires comparison. I don't know how to compare these two games, frankly. Populous has hundreds of levels and <laughs> a completely kind of hands-off gameplay system where you, you reshape the terrain to make your people more able to spread out. Whereas this one is a game where you just smash up another monster and also smash up a city in the process you might say this matchup is playing god versus playing godzilla Ooh, that is very good i like that (laughs) this is a tough one i mean both of these games probably have better ports elsewhere also probably yeah populous is a really interesting thing and i did really enjoy you know what i played of it you know which is kind of brief but i mean you could certainly i think you could make the argument that you could probably get more out of populace than you could out of this game and i mean again it's it's a bit situational but like if i had a friend over i would definitely pop in for, for sure king of the sure. monsters before i would go with populace yeah no that's definitely true well okay so if if we need to do a comparison that is a little bit more apples to apples what do you think about rival turf at 31 i think i like this more than rival turf yeah, I agree. 
I agree. Uh, Rival Turf is a little bit monotonous in some ways. That and yeah. I think I like it more than Dino City at number thirty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it just keeps moving up. Um, Magic Sword at number twenty nine. This is another one that's pretty different. I like Magic Sword, although Magic Sword had kind of. I, I feel like I hit a wall with Magic Sword. Yeah. Uh, hmm. I know. Again, like maybe we start looking at a ceiling and start moving down a little bit, and we sort of you know okay. meet somewhere in the middle. Yeah, like, sure. I think I think we could safely say at this point, Dino City is the floor. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah, I would say maybe the ceiling is number twenty-one, Spanky's Quest, because I think that Spanky's Quest is just better put together than this game is. So between Spanky's Quest and Magic Sword, we actually have a bunch of sports games. We do. Uh, you know, we have everything from NCAA basketball at twenty-two down to Super Soccer at twenty-eight. Yeah, and mixed in there, we've also got uh, Super. R-Type, Joe and Mac, Gradius 3, and the Adams Family. Yeah. I think I actually like NCAA basketball more than this. Yeah, I think that's probably fair. I think I may actually like this more than the Adams Family, though. I... Yeah, you know... I, I think that, honestly, like, for as much as I do, I do respect a lot of things about the Adams Family, um, I do think that I can't really imagine anything in the Adams family that's as fun as playing this game with another person would be, you know? Yeah. I think I agree with you. I think that sounds good. Let, what do you say we go ahead and put in King of the Monsters as our new number 23 game? That sounds like a great idea. A, a King Kong sized great mm-hmm. idea. I'm bananas for it. <laughs> I keep saying King Kong, but he's, he's not in this version. He's not in this version. That's true. Yeah. Uh, not even fake King Kong that is in the arcade version. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. So King of the Monsters, number 23. And wow, it's, this is two really good showings right here. And yeah, it is. And uh, let, let's see if we can keep the ball rolling. Let's see if we can keep this going. All right. our last game for today blazion i am assuming is how this is pronounced the bio cyborg challenge so let me give you my initial reaction to this game yes please do playing it blind for the first time for about you know 15 minutes i was ready to say to hell with this idea of banning sports games that we have thought about let's just ban shooters because i hate scrolling shooters i hate all of them what the heck even is this what does this game do to differentiate itself from the approximately two dozen other games of this same freaking genre that have been barfed onto the SNES? what is even the point right out of the gate this game has noticeably bad frame rate no selectable weapon loadouts and seemingly no power-ups the sound effects are bad i can't believe someone put this game on the SNES in an already overly saturated market for this genre this is garbage that was my initial thought about this game uh-huh. and then the more i thought about it the more i thought this game is so simple i must be missing something so i went online I looked up on GameFAQs, I was just kind of thinking like, okay, does this game have a gimmick that has been completely hidden from me? Turns out it does. And it's actually a huge game changer and a very good gimmick. <laughs> yes. Yeah, no, I had uh, I had a similar arc with this game, actually. So do you want to talk about what that gimmick is? <laughs> so in this game, you are able to capture enemy ships and mechs using a special capture missile, which I thought was just a regular old missile when I first played the game. Yeah. So I think what you have to do is you have to hit the enemy with either enough missiles or just damage them to weaken them and then hit them with the capture missile. Right. And then they will freeze and turn blue, at which point you can basically crash your ship into them and take over that enemy ship, which is going to have its own, you know, different powers and special abilities. This mechanic does a couple of things that in a really cool way. So first of all, it it handles the problem of there not being power-ups because every single ship that you can capture has their own kind of weapon, their own firing method. Another neat thing that I, I think was going on here, but I'm not entirely sure I didn't play through enough times to test this out. A lot of the enemies that you can capture have destructible elements, like you can shoot cannons yes. off of them and things like that. So Yeah, that that is a hundred percent a thing in this game. Yeah, so when you capture them, they are in the state that they were in when you captured them. So like if you do too much damage to a ship, you might actually be capturing a weaker uh spacecraft than you would be 
Right. Had you not shot that off. Is that, am I correct in that? Yes, that's absolutely correct. Uh, that's, that's very much a thing in this game. And yeah, it also means when you capture the ship, you essentially have several additional hit points based on how, how many weapons the thing has when you catch it. Yeah, which solves the whole problem of the one hit kill that so many of these shooters have. Like you can just capture something, take a few more hits. And the other thing I like is that instead of just getting destroyed outright, you revert back to your original ship when you've taken too much damage so you can capture yeah. something else and the ships do pop up frequently in the levels. yes yeah. so you you frequently have multiple options within just like a few screens of each other uh for which kind of of ship you want to capture and that's really cool because it means that there's multiple options you know there, there's some that have actually quite different like weapon setups there's one that has uh like a homing missile there's one that has kind of a uh r-type style bit that you can put into different positions above and below and behind your mm-hmm. ship to to fire different things uh kind of the first one and the thing that you most commonly come across has three different shots that fire at different angles and a consumable bomb item then you really can kind of pick and choose which one you you want for different parts of a lot of these levels so it's it's a really cool system and it's uh it's i i think one of the best power-up systems we've seen on any of these shooters honestly yeah i think it's one of the most clever and maybe one of the most fun it is such a 180 finding out how to do this because like i was just <laughs> yeah. ready to rip this game apart and just say yeah, you know what? we're not right. playing any more shooters ever again on this show and <laughs> like to go from that to being like oh this might actually be one of the best ones we've played really nuts that this game without any of the documentation that would have come with it or you know without looking it up online you really have no way of knowing that that's in there though without some sort of prior knowledge yeah, of the game that is the most unfortunate thing about this game for sure is that it uh, it has a very good central gimmick that it doesn't tell you about up front at all <laughs> Yeah, well, you were saying that that because this is another arcade port, that the arcade game does a much better job of this. That's the really wild thing here, is that the arcade game has, like, a very lavishly animated opening cutscene, which I understand why that's not in the game here, where it it sort of dramatizes the ship taking over one of these, like, kind of mecha fighter things, and shows you kind of what that is. It also has a thing where, after you press start, before the game actually starts, it kind of runs through what all the different capturable ships are and how many of the special missile you need to hit it with in order to capture. Either of those things in some form could have been really useful here and it's it's really weird that the game has just nothing. It doesn't even have an attract mode where it shows you a computer recorded playthrough of the first like minute or so of the game because if it even had that, that would have shown you a capture. Just an attract mode alone would have probably fixed that problem and it's, it's a real shame and we've kind of mentioned this in the King of Monsters too with my problem with not knowing how to pin somebody right out of the gate. Yeah. I know that these were made in a time where instruction manuals were a given and it was just assumed everybody was going to get documentation with the game. You were going to learn more or less how to play it from that or from a Nintendo Power or whatever, and you didn't need the game to tell you how to play it. I do think it is a shame that more games weren't forward thinking like King of the Monsters kind of was with putting its controls, some of its controls, in that menu screen. They got close to to doing that, but I I really wish more games of this era had thought to do that or or could have figured out a a good way to kind of explaining themselves to the player without the need for looking up stuff online. It really does create a situation where someone could, you know, start this game up, have basically the reaction you and I had to it, and then just swear it off. (laughs) Um, And that would be really unfortunate, you know? Yeah, I almost did that, but I I didn't just for the sake of, you know, being thorough for this show. But I mean, like, if I were just playing this, I don't know that I would have given the game a second chance. Yeah. But, you know, luckily, all of you listening have us here to tell you, no, do definitely give this game another shot, because if you didn't know that that gimmick was there, it's a real game changer, and it makes this a really, really good game. This is a game that, once you do understand that gimmick, you can appreciate all the other good stuff this game has, which is interesting, varied enemy layouts, fun bosses that are all, I think, pretty different from each other in a lot of ways that are that are cool. Uh, some very different uh, stage background concepts, and some good music, too. So, you know, this game does have a lot going 
for it. Uh, it just doesn't foreground any of that, really. But I will say it, it doesn't alleviate all of my initial criticisms. Like, I, I don't think the frame rate here was very good, but that is... There, there are issues with this game, it's true. Like, this game does feel kind of sluggish in some ways. Yeah, the frame rate is pretty consistent for the most part, but it's not that fast. I also thought the sound effects were pretty lackluster like it sounded like an 8-bit gack splat or something yeah. <laughs> like a nickelodeon yeah, no, it's, splat it's sound true. effect the, the sound, i think the music in this game is is good but the sound effects are definitely not great uh, yeah. we've certainly heard we've certainly heard shooters that have much punchier much much crisper sounding sound effects than this yeah. one this game doesn't try to have any sort of story or framing for what's going on in it. You know, there's a fun kind of transition into all the boss fights where it's like... Oh, yeah, that was neat. Danger detected, uh, activate hyperdrive and warp to combat location, and then it'll do this cool, very, like, anime sort of warp screen effect in yes. the background. To, and, like, that's really cool, and I kind of wish there had been more stuff like that. Not doing a lot to surface the story of the game is... Again, a pretty common problem for shooters on the Super Nintendo right now. So again, I mean, I guess it's in good company with you know a lot of the other <laughs> games in the genre. The other thing is that uh, again, it being a an arcade port, this also loses two player co op like the uh, King of the Monsters yes, did. Yes, that is true. The arcade version did have two player co op, and uh, it's a it's it's too bad that this doesn't have that here. Overall, I had a uh, once I got into this game, I had a very strong positive impression of it those those aspects of it notwithstanding um and one thing i will say that i i don't know that was super clear is that one thing that's very good about this game once you do understand that gimmick is the ships you can capture all look very distinctively different than everything else in the game so there's never necessarily a thing where you're like oh i, I wonder if i can capture that oh no guess not because uh, they're the things you can capture pretty much all look like uh, very like Gundam style giant robots. Well, and the missiles will just straight up destroy enemies. So you, like you're not just sitting there hitting an enemy over and over again with a missile, waiting for it to turn blue or something. Like it'll just straight up explode from those attacks if they're not capturable. So yeah, I, I do think the game does a good job there as well. I don't think I talked about the company that made this, which I actually don't... Oh, no, you're right, actually. You didn't. Yeah, I don't have a ton to say about them. Um, it was made by a kind of a small company called AI, which, according to Moby Games, uh, they're a small company established in 1990, handful of games under their belt. They seem to have worked with Hudson quite a bit, as they have uh, a lot of credits on several games in the Bonk series. They also have a credit for Mario Party 2, which Hudson also developed, so... I guess they were probably a contractor for a lot of uh, Hudson stuff. They uh, they might still be around, kind of similar to the company I was talking about with King of the Monsters. They've still got a website, but I don't think it's been updated since 2014. They also still maintain a Twitter account, but the tweets have been pretty infrequent. There was one this past month, but I you know it, it's they're few and far between, so I don't know how active they uh -huh. are and, and what they're up to these days. That's all I got. And this was released in America by Atlas, I believe, which I don't really know what Atlas's footprint in America was like back in those days, but I'm guessing not much. I'm guessing it was basically kind of just stuff like this, right? Yeah, I'm actually not sure. I, I didn't look up Atlas too much for this one. I, I imagine we'll be talking about them again at some point, and uh, I'll probably do a deeper dive into that when we get there. But yeah, so I didn't really have anything else to say about the game itself. What do you say we try to, to find a place for this on the list? Yeah, let's do that. So I do not think this one hits the lofty heights of UN Squadron at number eight. I agree with that. But I do think it's on par with something like Gradius 3 at number 25. In fact, I think it's better than Gradi Gradius 3. Sorry, Gradius 3. I agree with that. Um, I think Gradius 3 is good, but I do think that the the uh, ship capturing gimmick in this just is, is so clever that it solves a lot of issues for this type of game that, uh, you know, makes it both uh, really fun to play and also gives you a lot of options, which is sort of similar to Gradius 3, but in a way that's kind of more elegant in this case. Now that I'm looking at it again, I realize I just skipped over Darius Twin, which is at number 14. Now, this game does have two-player co-op, but I don't think it's gimmick as much as it has one. 
is as unique as Blazion. I agree with that. Um, it, one of its major gimmicks is the fact that it has different stages you can pick to go to. And this game doesn't do that. But one of the things I really like about Blazion is that the way the weapon system in this works means you're not just constantly trying to upgrade to the best possible weapon. You're picking whatever ship is available to you that has useful weapons on it. So there's not really the same kind of sense of like, oh, I I lost the thing I had. Now I'm kind of screwed. And, you know, that's definitely something that it it has over Darius Twin as well as many of of these other shooters. So I think that that honestly does put it above it for me, I I would say. Yeah, I had a lot of fun just like kind of seeing what things I could capture and what they could do. Like there was a mech that just straight up threw like Guile-esque sonic booms. Yeah, (laughs) I like that one. That one was a lot of fun. Yeah, so... uh... So number 13, we've got Hook. Is this going to be your highest ranked game today? Because I really thought Hook was a shoe in for that. But now I'm I'm questioning what mm, maybe it's not. Maybe it's not. I mean, I, th- I do think that there's something to be said for a really creative solution to to a problem like like what Blazion has. So, you know, I, I would I would maybe actually give this the edge on Hook in that sense. Okay. And then we got Lemmings at number 12 right above that. Um, how? What do you think of that matchup? It's a tougher one, for sure, uh, given that Lemmings isn't an action game. I think that in some ways, just the level of surprise I had at how much of a turnaround I had on Blazion gives me a different sense of affection for it than I have for Lemmings, where I, I really respect Lemmings a lot, but I, I do think that it's it's really cool that, that Blazion has this thing hidden in it that really kind of just changes the game like that. I will say, though, Lemmings does a pretty good job of that forward thinking that I was talking about earlier by actually kind of explaining how it's played That is a itself. really good point, actually. I don't think I can put this above Lemmings. The thing you just said makes a lot of sense to me. It's not like we didn't have a lot of fun with Lemmings as well. I mean, Lemmings is in its own way a very unique game. Uh, yeah, you know, I'm good with that. I'm not going to die on that hill. I, th- okay. I think that that I'm I'm very good with with putting Blazion below Lemmings. Okay, so we have, so we have a, a, another new, new, number, new 13. number thirteen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, uh, that is impressive. I did not at all expect that to, when we started this, I did not at all expect Blazion, the BioCyborg Challenge, to be our second highest ranked scrolling shooter. Uh, that's that's pretty remarkable. I honestly, like, I, I knew it was going to go pretty high, but I didn't even think it was going to top King of the Monsters, but it ended up being our, our highest ranked game today. So I think I'm still going to put Hook on the cover, though. Sure, yeah. <laughs> Honestly, if you want to pick up any of these games and have a go at them based on what we've talked about today, you're not going to go wrong with any of them. This was a really good little clutch of games here. This is kind of like the weird opposite reaction to the last episode in some ways, uh, even though NCAA basketball was good. I really like it when we have weeks like this where it's just like, yeah, I, I feel pretty good about all of these. So. And it's nice because none of these are super famous, super beloved games, I don't think. You know, like these aren't games that everybody talks about as like, oh, yeah, great games from the heyday of the Super Nintendo. You know, this is one of the benefits of going through everything like this is that sometimes we find really good stuff that doesn't get talked about that much. All right. So I guess it is time to talk about what we're going to be playing next time. And uh, we've got yeah. we've got some pretty interesting things on the docket for next week. We've got... David Crane's Amazing Tennis, so our second tennis game, and apparently it's supposed to be amazing. Desert Strike Return to the Gulf, another game about uh, the Gulf War and Desert Storm and all that. That'll be interesting. Finally, something I've never played before, but I'm really curious about, Final Fantasy Mystic Quest, which uh, to hear people talk about it is like my first Final Fantasy game kind of thing? Basically, Baby's first Final Fantasy. It was made specifically with the goal of introducing Americans to the RPG genre. It is actually the first Final Fantasy game I ever played. The first RPG I ever played. Oh, wow, okay. And I haven't played it since then, so I'm really curious to see how it is and how it holds up. My memories of it aren't that specific. (laughs) Uh, It was a long time ago. Yeah, I've never played it before, so it'll be interesting to see like what a watered-down RPG in that era looks like. Really interested to find that out. And I am interested to talk about it. I hope you at home are interested in listening to us talk about it. 
because we're going to do that. Yeah, you can't stop us. All right. Well, I guess uh, that about wraps things up. Did you have anything else? Uh, anything else you wanted to say today? No, I don't. Uh, I feel I feel like I've said everything there is to say. <laughs> All right. Well, I mean, if that's everything there is to say, I guess that's the end of the show. Uh, I guess there's no more episodes after that. No, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> All right, folks. Thank you all so much for listening. Until next time, I'm Steampunk Blank. I'm Emmy Zero. Play it loud. Our intro-outro song is How Now Brown Cow by Technoax, who very generously offers a ton of great music for free and royalty-free at technoax.com. That's T-E-K-N-O-A-X-E dot com. Oh yeah, Julia Roberts, well, you have a large mouth, so there. Ooh, burn. She does, though, it's true. Yeah. Uh, I can't stop thinking about how big her mouth is every time I see her in a movie. You know what? Still a uh, wonderful actress, though. Excellent. Wonderful actress, yes. some, some great performances yes. uh, under her belt for sure. Uh, no, no hate on Julia Roberts. Yeah, definitely. Uh, not. 